it's good to see you guys, and it's good to be here. Um, just the other day, I was at church after church and uh, on sermon about about Joseph being in prison. I had someone um, come up to me after church and, and he, he took my hand and he shook it and he's like, I just wanted to introduce myself and, and tell you my story. And, and so um, he and I went and got a cup of coffee and we sat down and um, he, he's sitting across from me and he tells me who he is and, and he starts out by saying that this is the first time he's been here and, and uh, don't expect a bunch from me, he said. Don't expect a bunch from me uh, because I just got out of jail, you know? He's like, don't expect a lot from me. I've, I've had a, a tough upbringing and I just got out of prison and, and he's telling me his story and, you know, and don't expect a lot from me. And, and after he got done, you know, doing his whole spiel about how he's excited to be here. Um, he's very interested in seeing what, what God can do with him, um, but don't expect a lot. And, and I said, buddy, here's the deal. Uh, I expect a ton from you because the reality is, is, is like half of the Christian faith had been created in prison. You know, like if you think about the Bible, pretty much the whole thing was in prison. And, you know, the whole book of Revelation came out of prison. And, you know, people who have been in jail have done a lot of really brilliant things. And it's like, you know, the, the prison cell is this, this place of inspiration uh, for people. And so if, if you have been someone who has been in prison, you are an untapped resource of the church. And, and we need to take it better advantage of you. Um, and, and so he and I started talking about, you know, how a bunch of things, you know, that, that are good have been birthed from hard things and, and how a bunch of inspiration uh, from the, the Christian faith has come from, from persecution and, and how, you know, how realistically, you know, salvation began in a grave and, and how, how typically, you know, whenever there's a story of, of hope and whenever there's a story of life and when there's a story of good things, the thing that comes before it is often hard things and brokenness and dark things and, and the pit. And, and prison, and, and it seems like from those places, a lot of great things are born. And so, so, so I thought it would be, at this point, as I'm sitting across the table from him, and, and he's having coffee, and, and we're talking about him being in prison, and, and how I expect a lot from him, and, and how, 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 you know, he could be, you know, amazing, and how God sees him, and how I see him. I thought it would be a good opportunity to practice this upcoming sermon I was going to do, because that's what kind of all I had in my head at the time. And I, it, you know, if I have a sermon coming up, I practice it a lot on people because I'm an, I'm an external processor, right? And that means that, that I think as I talk, and that's a bad thing is a lot of times because I'll be up here and I'm like, oh, I'm going to say this. And it's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, but I thought, I'm going to practice on him and I'm going to give him this sermon and see what he thinks of it. And so because, you know, we are in this sermon series of Joseph and because, I mean, realistically, the story of Joseph and his upbringing, he had the worst 30 years ever. Like, if I was him, I'd be like, man, God hates me. You know, what is wrong with me that God would do all this? It started out great. You know, I started out, I was my father's favorite of all these other sons. I rocked it, and he loved me, right? I was my father's favorite, and, and he, he was 
a shepherd of his father's sheep. And and furthermore, during the shepherding process, the father sent him to his brothers, and, and his brothers despised him, and they threw him into a pit, and they sold him as a slave. That's bad, right? Like, this is a bad start to life, right? He is bad at life. And so anyway, he gets sold as a slave, and he's a slave for a super long time. He's framed for, you know, something that he didn't do, um, gets thrown into prison anyway, and he spends 12 to 13 years in prison. This is how Joseph begins his life. And during his time in prison, he serves people. And, and Pastor Allen talked a ton about how Joseph served people. And, and he served people who had dreams. He served people who had dreams. People would have these dreams and they would come to him and say, I have these dreams. Because in prison, that's kind of all you have are dreams that don't happen, right? <laughs> anyway, um, so you have all these dreams. <laughs> that was the t- type of thing that I didn't plan on saying that I just did. Um, so, so you have these dreams. That's all you have to talk about are these dreams. And so then he would speak into these dreams and serve people. And, and he would speak into people's dreams that, that oftentimes would happen outside of prison. And he would instill hope. He would give hope. And so in this past sermon, Pastor Allen talked about how he interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer and the baker. And to me, there has to be something poetic about the cupbearer and a baker, bread and wine. I don't know, maybe. Um, So anyway, he interprets these dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. And both of these dreams involve, you're getting out of here. And whenever you get out of here, remember me. Remember I interpreted your dreams. Remember me. But both the cupbearer and baker, they get out of there and they forget. Oops, right? They forget. And Genesis chapter 41 begins two years after the cupbearer and baker get out. It begins two years after they forgot about him. So Joseph has been in prison for 13 years before there's this hope of getting out. And today's sermon begins there. So so if you have your Bible on you, open up to Genesis 41. And in Genesis 41, here's how I'm going to attack this. I'm going to paraphrase phrase this thing because it's super long. I'm going to paraphrase it and then we're going to go back into it, all right? So I'm going to tell the story. So Genesis 41 begins after the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. And it says two years later, two years later, Joseph has been in prison for 13 years. And I don't know about you, but if I have a bad day or a bad hour, I start to think, is God even there? You know, like, what happened to God, you know? And he's in prison for 13 years, but he's faithful and he serves. So, after two years later, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, right? The king of Egypt, and not only the king of Egypt, he's seen as a god. Pharaoh is seen as a god here on earth who takes care of everything. Pharaoh begins having these dreams. He has this dream of, of 
seven fat, beautiful cows, right? Beautiful cows that come out of the river. And they come out of the river and they start grazing. And as they are grazing, there are seven scrawny, ugly cows that come out. And as these cows come out, the scrawny ones, they eat the big, fat cows. And then Pharaoh gets up. To me, I would say, man, that was a crazy dream. I'm going back to bed. But Pharaoh is like, there's something to this dream. There's something to this dream. We had these seven huge cows and these seven tiny cows come out and they consume the cows. What does this mean? And then he falls back asleep. And then he starts to dream again. And he starts to dream again about these seven stalks of wheat that are growing. And they're beautiful. They're big. You know? And, and they're like, wow, that's good wheat, I guess. Right? I don't know what that would be, be like. But that's good wheat. Right? And then he saw seven other stalks of wheat come up. And the These were sick and scrawny and famished. And those seven stalks of wheat bend and consume the healthy ones. And Pharaoh gets up. He's like, what does this mean? And it drives him nuts. And he brings together all of the people in the kingdom who are experts at at interpreting dreams. Experts at at the supernatural. Experts at, at... at bringing interpretation to the unknown. And no one could interpret these dreams. These dreams drove Pharaoh nuts. And so what happened is, the cupbearer is, is probably, he has a cup in his hand. And he's like, here, do you want something some to drink? And he overhears, you know, I'm trying to find this interpretation of my dream. And he remembers Joseph. He's like, oh my gosh, Pharaoh. There was this guy in prison who he was interpreting everyone's dreams and he was amazing. He was spot on. Everything he spoke, you know, came true with all of us, really. And then Pharaoh's like, bring him to me. Bring him to me. And so, okay, so Joseph has been in prison for 13 years, right? So you got to think he hasn't had a bath, he hasn't shaved or showered, so he's just nasty. And so he has one of those homeless people's beard, and he smells bad, and, and so they bring him out of the dungeon, and the Bible says dungeon, he was in a dungeon, and, and they had to shave him and clean him before they brought him to Pharaoh. They shave and clean him and bring him before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I heard that you can interpret dreams. I heard that whenever someone brings you a dream, you can interpret it, and Joseph responds, I can't interpret it, but God can. And so, Pharaoh then tells Joseph about this dream that he had. And he said, there were these seven cows, and they were big and awesome, and there were tiny cows, and they came up and consumed them. And then, wait, that's not it. There were these seven stalks of wheat, and they're super healthy. And then there were the famished wheat, and they came and ate it. And they, you know, what does this mean? And Joseph calmly says, Here's the scoop. We are in times of prosperity right now, and there will be prosperity for seven years, but famine is coming. Famine is coming, and it will eat up everything that you have. And you had this dream twice because God was trying to prove a point that this is really going to happen. So Pharaoh, who I believe is brilliant, 
He says, what should we do? Right? What should we do? And Joseph says, find someone who can be in charge of gathering Someone who can be in charge of storing. Someone who can be in charge of preparing for the famine. So when the famine comes, it will not touch Egypt and his people will thrive. And then then Pharaoh says, who are we going to put in this spot? Who, Who do you think would be good? Joseph, right? Just me, pick me. And so Joseph gets this role. That Joseph gets this role and he steps into this spot of storing and providing and keeping and thinking for the times to come. He gets to think about Egypt whenever it'll be starving. He gets to think about the kingdom and have a heart for the people. And so Pharaoh says, this is a big role. This is important. You are an important person now. And so he takes his clothes and puts them on Joseph. He takes his ring and puts them on Joseph. He gives his authority and power and puts it on Joseph. 24 hours ago, this guy had a homeless beard and stunk. Now he's wearing the king's clothes, the king's ring, the king's power, the king's authority. And Pharaoh says, whatever you say will be done. You have the authority to command Egypt. And so things happened as he had prophesied. There was seven years of prosperity, seven years of goodness. And the whole time, they stored things. They were wise. They kept, you know, the storehouses full. And just like was prophesied, seven years came, and it came to an end, and then there was famine. And at the end of the famine, At the end of the, or or during the famine, people were hungry, but not Egypt. All the surrounding kingdoms were starving, but not Egypt, because Joseph had prepared. And so whenever the famine began to touch Egypt, and people started to go hungry, and people came to Pharaoh, what did Pharaoh say? He said, Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you to do. He will take care of you. And all the people of Egypt were fed. And this is the end of Genesis 41. And this is beautiful. And in this story, we see Joseph playing out three different roles. And these are the things that I really want to talk about today. We see him playing out the the role of the prophet, and we see him playing out the role of a king, and we see him playing out the role of a priest. And the first role is prophet. So let's go to Genesis 41, 14 through 16. So Joseph, or or so Pharaoh, sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had had been shaved and changed his clothes, he came before the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one could interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that whenever you hear a dream, you can interpret it. The first thing that Joseph plays out in Genesis 41 is this persona of a prophet. He is an interpreter of dreams. He is a predictor of the future. He is a servant to those around him. Something I think is super interesting and super cool and very important for us as a church to understand and to see and to pick out. 
Simply, Pharaoh had a dream, right? Pharaoh had a dream. And who is Pharaoh? He is someone who doesn't know God, right? He doesn't know God. In fact, he has other gods. But he has a dream, And he has a dream that God gave him, the God he doesn't know. Pharaoh has a dream that God gave him. God was talking to someone who didn't know him. This is actually a big deal. God talks to people that don't know him. God gives dreams to people that don't know him. People who have the dreams that God give them often need interpretation of what they mean. And I believe, I really believe, I really believe that God is talking to a lot of people who don't know him. Right? I really believe that God is in the business of talking to people who have no idea who he is. And people don't know how to interpret that. And people don't know how to understand the dreams that are in their hearts. People don't understand how to interpret who they're supposed to be or the passions that they have. People don't know how to interpret dreams because dreams come from God. And we are constantly roaming around, looking around, trying to find interpretation, saying, what does it mean? What does it mean? And this is when the church has lots of fun. Right? This is where the church has lots of fun because we are good at interpreting dreams. And I, I, I totally understand that you're able to interpret actual dreams, right? I'm not talking about that. In fact, the other day I had someone come up to me and said, I had this dream and it was crazy and they're telling me about it. I'm like, I have no idea what that means. And uh, it was probably a hot dog or something. And so, but the church, if anyone is good at speaking into the hearts of people and interpreting dreams, Because God gives dreams. And if there's one common dream out there for everyone, it's, I was made for so much more. And this is when the church says, yeah, that dream was right. Yes, that was God. Because we believe in the life and the death and the resurrection. And this speaks the language of dreams. God speaks to people who don't know him. When he speaks, they ask for interpretation. The prophetic role invites us to speak to people's hearts. And this is a gift to the church and of the church. And it is a beautiful thing. And it seems to me, it seems to me that when when the people of the church do well and speak the truth and they inspire and and they speak in the language of dreams and and furthermore, they tell the truth of the gospel and, and there's trust built that they are often elevated and put in to positions of trust. And people are brought saying, okay, well, tell me what this means and tell me what this means and tell me what this means and be my friend. I want to do things together. And this is what exactly happens to Joseph. And this is why he is elevated to the post of king, right? Because there was this trust, because he spoke the truth, because he played prophet truthfully and he had integrity, he was elevated to the role of king. In Genesis 41 through 45, it says this, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on 
Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He then had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people in front of him shouted, make way. Thus, Pharaoh put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Realistically, when Pharaoh heard what was going to become of Egypt, he relinquished his power to Joseph because of the integrity that he held, because of the truth that he spoke. And he gave power, he gave authority, he gave wealth, and he gave provision to Joseph. Why did he do this? He didn't do it for Joseph. He did it for his kingdom, right? He didn't do this to honor Joseph. He did this for the prosperity of his kingdom. The power and the status and the glory and the wealth and the authority that he gave to Joseph, he didn't do it for Joseph. He did it for his kingdom, And overnight, Joseph, he was a prisoner, and then he was a prince. Overnight, like that, boom, he was poor. Now he's rich. He was powerless. Now he has power. He was nothing. He is everything. And for the church, this is how quickly the gospel takes effect. Right? So whenever a guy who has just come out of prison says, don't expect a lot from me, I can say, I expect everything from you. Because this is how quickly the gospel takes effect. You have been this, you are now this. Right? This is beautiful. And furthermore, the position that we are put in is not typically for us, but it's for the kingdom. Right? The, the power, the authority, the knowledge, the inheritance, the son and daughtership of the king. This is for them. So, Joseph hadn't been given his position for his own sake, but for the sake of the entire kingdom of Egypt. What does it look like for a son or daughter of God to not see their position, their inheritance, and and their authority for their own sake, but for those around them? What does it look like for us to not see us as building our own kingdoms or building our own families or our own people? What does it look like for us to begin to think of God's kingdom first? That everything we have is for God's kingdom and not our own. Because whenever we start thinking about God's kingdom before our own kingdom, we start to have a heartbeat of a different king. And this different king starts to play out the functionality of a priest. Because priests have hearts. And this is the third image that Joseph plays out, the role of a priest. In Genesis 41, 53 through 55. Seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph said, there is famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. The Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you to do. 
the definition of a priest or pastor is simple. It's a servant. It's a servant. So tell those people who come up to me and say, what do you actually do? (laughs) I'm a servant. Um, The definition of a priest or a pastor, it's a servant. And although Joseph had all the authority and all the power to command Egypt, and he had all the resources, he used it and he focused it to prepare to take care of his people. Because he was put into a place of authority to take care of the kingdom. What does it look like to embody the priest for a starving people? Priests have heart for, has, have heart for people, not only the kingdoms, right? It's actual people who have faces and stories and names. Joseph took care of people and he served them Grains from the field and fruits from the field, right? Grains from the field, fruits from the field. What does it look like for us to embody a priestly heart to to be able to serve grains from the field and fruits from the field? What does it look like for us to embody a priestly heart to be, be able to offer bread and wine, What does it look like for us to have a priestly heart for us to offer bread to broken people and wine for those who are lost? What does it look like for us to offer body and blood to people who are in famine? To be honest, it might look a lot less than us being like Joseph, and more like us being like Pharaoh. And here's why. Whenever people came to Pharaoh and said, we are starving, there is famine, how did Pharaoh respond? Go to Joseph. He can help you and do whatever he said. Because the reality is, is how I interpret things and how I want to tell the stories and how I want to do things, I always want to be the hero. So, so whenever I hear the story of Joseph or Abraham, I am Joseph, and I am Abraham, and I am, I am, I am, and I am the hero. But the truth of this story is possibly we're not the hero. How we serve people and how we have a priestly heart for people might be taking on more of the image of Pharaoh than the image of Joseph. Because Joseph looks a whole lot like Jesus more than me. So let's go at this again. Let's go over the themes of the story of Joseph. He was loved by his father dearly. He was a shepherd of his father's sheep. He was sent to his brothers. His brothers hated him. People who plotted to hate, people plotted to harm him. He was tempted and he overcame. He was taken to Egypt and his robes were taken from him. He was sold for, for, for the price of a slave. He was bound in chains. He was feisty. Falsely accused, he became a teacher at the age of 30. He was exalted after his suffering. He forgave those who wronged him, and he saved the nations. 
If this is a story of a priest, a prophet, and a king, this is a story of our priest, our prophet, and our king. It's a story of Jesus, who is our hero. We're not the hero of the story. And this is a story about you and I and Pharaoh. We think we have the power and the authority, and we think we rule our kingdoms, and we think we have the the responsibility to take care of everyone around us, and if we fail, the world will slip through our fingertips. And furthermore, we already know we're not in control, and we know things have been and are getting worse. And we know the reality of famine because we can taste it and we feel it. Furthermore, we have God-given dreams and passions and ideas and inspirations and thoughts that we have no idea what to do with and we have no idea how to interpret them or even what they mean. So, It often puts us in the spot when Pharaoh realizes who he is and that things are falling apart. And he says, what do we do? And so the question is, what do we do? (laughs) What do we do? First of all, we quit trying to be the hero of the story and allow ourselves to be saved. Like Pharaoh, we ask Jesus to interpret our dreams and to speak to our hearts. And we pray to him, asking him to teach us about who we are and why he has made us how he made us. What are you doing with me? Like Pharaoh, we relinquish our power, our authority, the kingdom that we thought we had, saying, take this over. In my hands, this thing falls apart. In your hands, it thrives. Like Pharaoh, we recognize the famine is real and that we are in the need of a priest who offers bread and who offers wine, who offers life, death, and resurrection. Like Pharaoh, when people come to us asking us to be the hero, saying, help me, I'm starving, We point to Jesus and we say, I can't help you, but I know someone who can. Go to him and do what he says. Like Pharaoh, we recognize that one man can be a priest, a Pharaoh, and a king. Because it seems to me in the church that we always pick one. We always pick one. It's comfortable picking one, but the other two are shady to us. It's easy to say he's our priest and we'll take his sacrifice. I believe in you. But to be my king and to give it all over and to be under your authority, I don't think so. It's easy for some of us to say, yes, Jesus is king. But to be my servant and my priest too? No, I will serve you and I'll give everything and I'll try really hard to make you happy with me. For some, it's easy to see Jesus as the prophet speaking the truth. This is the way to go. But the only way to go? I don't know about that. And I definitely will not give you everything. Everything. Because it seems to me that the picture Jesus paints as I am all three or I am none. 
I am all three or none. I speak the truth. I am your king and I am your priest. What would it be like for Jesus to be your prophet, your king, and your priest? What would it be like for Jesus to be your prophet, your king, and your priest? So I got to that point in the conversation, okay? I'm talking to the guy across the table, and I just practiced the sermon on him, right? And I got to the point by saying, what would it be like for Jesus to be your prophet, your king, or your priest? And he stops me, he interrupts me, and he says, wait, 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 wait a second. So, so Jesus is a prophet and a king and a priest, and we get all this from the story of Joseph, and wait a second, so is Jesus, Joseph, or is Joseph Jesus, and, or is just Joseph, Joseph, and we're supposed to follow Jesus, and then furthermore, from the place that I stand, from the place that I stand, what should I focus on right now? Like, like should I focus on, on Jesus being my, my prophet, or my king, or my priest? Which is more important, prophet, king, or priest? And I, I looked at him, and I gave him the only right answer I could think of. Yes! <laughs> Pray with me. Oh God, we love you. And we recognize that you are our prophet. And you are our king. And that you are our priest. We are sorry for shrinking you into understandable things. God, reveal to our hearts the places that we have kept you out. Reveal to our hearts the truths that we do not recognize about you because we are afraid. God, we love you. We love you. Pour your spirit out. Hold our hearts in your hand and speak into them the places you want to be but have been kept out. God, we ask you and we offer ourselves up to you and invite you to be our prophet. Speak the truth to us. Challenge us. God, we offer you and invite you in to be our king. We give you our kingdoms. We give you our people. We give you our authority. We give you our power. And we say, this is yours. It falls apart in our hands, but it succeeds in yours. And God, you are our priest. You have offered your body, you have offered your blood, and you have served us. And we accept that, we believe that, we proclaim that, and we love you. God, we thank you that you are here, that we do not have to ask you to be here, we don't have to invite you to be here, that you actually invited us to be here. During this time, we pray that you continue to speak to us. In Christ we pray, amen.